DiscerningHearts.com presents St. John of the Cross, Master of Contemplation, with Father Donald Haggerty. Father Haggerty is a priest of the Archdiocese of New York who serves at St. Patrick's Cathedral. He taught moral theology and worked as a spiritual director in seminaries for 20 years. He has directed numerous yearly retreats for the missionaries of charity. He is the author of Contemplative Provocations, The Contemplative Hunger, Conversion, Contemplative Enigmas, and St. John of the Cross, Master of Contemplation, the book on which this series is based. St. John of the Cross, Master of Contemplation, with Father Donald Haggerty. I'm your host, Chris McGregor. Welcome back, Father Haggerty. Thank you, Chris, and thank you again for having me. I'm just so happy that we're able to look at the life and writings and teachings of St. John of the Cross. He has so much to give to us. I want to say just share, but I think he wants to give it, not just put it out there, but he wants, he wants us to have this because he wants to pass on something so important that has touched his life. Would you say that is true? I think that's uh, so true, and I, and it's it's good when if we do you know delve into Saint John of the Cross, if you if, you, if listeners you know take up the this book, it's good to be conscious that much of I could say almost all of the writings of Saint John of the Cross were in answer to requests to clarify, to explain, to comment on his poems and amplify, you know. And I think sisters, the Carmelite sisters who asked for those commentaries understood by reading the poems, there's something of great mystery and depth here. And, and they saw it in him and they wanted some commentary, some explanation of the greater depths of the path to God. And so all of his writing, you know, one of his treatises, he has four major treatises. One of them was written for a Spanish laywoman which is good to hear. He's, he's not writing for, you know, monastic uh, or cloistered sisters. He wrote for the common person. I'm sure he was aware of that. His aphorisms, which we mentioned in the last segment, they were they're short aphorisms, one, two, three sentences. They say that he sent them sometimes by mail or he handed them to a a sister as an individual gift to that sister. And then they collected them, they kept them as precious, you know, things. And then they were put together after his death as the collection of the aphorisms of John of the Cross. So all that he's writing is, is um, to, in some manner to instruct, but not like a college professor instructing. He's speaking also from his own experience, clearly. And it's in fact also his experience of sisters. He was for five years a confessor and spiritual guide to the Carmelites in the Incarnation Carmel um, in Avila before he was kidnapped, which we talked about earlier. So he had much time alone, you know, in spiritual direction with these sisters. And he saw, you know, the, the roadblocks, the difficulties, the struggles, and also the breakthroughs that people were making in the spiritual life. 
So it's not just his private experience being revealed there. Sometimes when we, if we ever look at mystics, that's what a lot of mystical literature is, the individual mystic writing about their experience. If you ask me, John of the Cross is quite unique there. He's writing from his experience of other sisters in combination with a great depth, an incredible depth of uh, understanding and experience on his own part. So he's writing very sensitive to the needs of souls who want to grow in union with God. And that's really what he's addressing. He doesn't speak very much about any, you know, he doesn't reveal, you know, mystical experiences on his own part. He doesn't describe unusual things uh, that he went through. And he's very private and hidden in that kind of way, which is a beauty of him also. I'm so glad you mentioned the fact that he wrote in response to the questions of a laywoman. Oftentimes, we may think that what he has to share is just for a religious order with a particular charism, in this case, the Carmelites. His writings speak of something much deeper that is living and dwelling in all of us. And the Carmelites, I think, in some way, the ones I have gotten to know, even on a personal level, that it's true that what they're experiencing is necessarily something that we're called to as well, or a relationship. I think that's a great point, Chris, because um, one of the things that could be associated with St. John of the Cross is that he is teaching Carmelite spirituality, or that St. Teresa of Avila, if you read her autobiography, a great reading, or her interior castle, that she's only teaching Carmelite spirituality. And I would, you know, jump out of, you know, jump up and say, no, I don't think that's the correct way to look at that. I think that that Carmelite, so-called Carmelite spirituality of John of the Cross is not at all, you know, limited to directing the, uh, the lives of Carmelites. And the church, I think, has acknowledged that by calling him the mystical doctor, which is, a, you know, you could say a fancy title for saying he's the great teacher of prayer and the interior life and contemplation which is something that is possibly open for everyone who is going to really walk a path of holiness. And we know, you know, we've all heard it many times now since the Vatican Council, we're all called to holiness. As Mother Teresa used to say, holiness is not a luxury. It is meant for each one of us. If we want to love God, he wants to invite us to a life of holiness. And John of the Cross is really teaching universal spirituality in these things, whether it's how he teaches so, you know, really very deeply, you know, the realities of the, the ascetical life of self-denial or the beginnings of prayer, the beginnings of contemplative prayer, what happens as we go along in life and prayer. These are aspects of universal applicability, you know, for all lives in the spiritual life. You know, to my mind, he's really, he's commenting on the gospel. Unless a grain of wheat falls into the earth and dies, it remains alone. But if it dies, it bears much fruit. And this is the great commentary of John of the Cross, how we die to self and God begins to fill up, you know, that deeper emptiness, you know, in the life with his own, you know, 
divine presence. I think you've touched on something really important here because we're all creating God's image. And so that deep, deep longing, that place, that reservoir, as you've you've said, we're trying to fill it. And it can only be filled with God. We've heard that. But in today's culture, in our world, not only with the things that are given to us to meet our longings, our desires, or what we think we have by the secular world, by marketing conglomerates and all these other things, but also in, sometimes in spiritual realms, we're, we're trying to grab so many different things because there's that ache, that reservoir that wants to be filled. And John of the Cross, I think, especially as you are showing us, has identified that and is trying to help us to recognize how all these other things are getting in the way. They're filling it up with something that's not ever going to really truly help us in what we're longing for. Does that make sense? It makes a lot of sense. And, you know, I think one thing you, you, um, you're you cluing into there and, and adverting to is, you know, when we're approaching spiritual life and, you know, if we want to go into greater depths with God, you know, we, we didn't grow up in the 1500s. We're, you know, products of the 20th century now in the 21st century. And the reality of our lives is that we are, we have been able, all of us, to go after things and seek them, pursue them, and take hold of them. You know, whether it be the college education, our degrees, our reading, not just material possessions or pleasures, but we could go after things and chase after them and take possession of them. And I think one thing that John of the Cross would, he probably would say, stop, wait, because you can't do that with God. God is not one more item on the list where I can now say, oh, I want God. I want to fill myself up now with God. Before it might have been, I loved, you know, English literature, and I filled myself up with English literature and loved to read and became very good at that or some other subject. Now I love God. I want to fill myself up with God. It doesn't actually work that way. And part of what John of the Cross is so valuable for is to realize if we do grow in prayer, it's not just us. God himself is going to allow our interior life to be emptied out. It's not something we do by a method or a technique, but he's going to see to it that we get emptied out, perhaps also in our exterior life. And we get emptied out for the sake then of God in his initiative, you know, to begin to fill us up. So it's not, it's not that we can go and, you know, grab hold of him as the, the next thing we want to to now, you know, target as our great goal, but we have to do our part in some manner, losing the self, you know, emptying out. And there are aspects, you know, in this, and the book is helpful for it to realize if you, if you treat prayer seriously, you undergo purifying experiences in the interior life that are part of this emptying that we don't have control over that is an emptying of our interior life for God himself then 
in his own time, in his own initiative, in his own unpredictable ways to begin then to fill us with a deeper taste of his reality and presence. It can be such a struggle, I think, and in some cases a suffering. And I I cannot help but think of this the example in the scriptures where the holy Nicodemus and even Joseph of Arimathea, here they are of a class of the you know, the Pharisees and the Sadducees and that group that we hear so often in the gospels that seem to have all of the intellect and the soul and the heart and the will to be the great men of the of the temple of the religion, and yet those two in particular in the Gospels are having to struggle with letting go of so much of that so that they can be open to receive more of this shockingly present God in their midst in their you, you see them struggling, while the others, you, you have a choice. You can turn away from that and continue doing what they're doing in their practices. And yet Nicodemus and Joseph of Arimathea, they're risking it. And that's kind of the risk that John of the Cross is asking us to do, isn't it? Yeah, it's a great uh, image to ponder, you know, how those men, you know, who had, you know, great security, certain comfort, you know, in their importance, their men of prestige in that time. And now something new, incredibly new, has come into their lives in Jesus. And the courage, you know, of, of Nicodemus, especially as it's described in John, to, uh, you know, he does raise the question before the Pharisees, do, no, do we not, you know, allow a man in all law to be properly tried and to have a chance to defend himself. You know, that could be that God in all of our lives, I'm I'm a firm believer that people sometimes in the middle of life, it can be in your 20s and your 30s and your 40s, sometimes those junctures of life are the time when something very, really unpredictable with God begins to awaken that a person really wasn't expecting. And your two examples there are like that. You know, these men had their lives for some time, not questioning, nothing really unusual. And then Jesus steps into their life and something entirely new now is challenging them. I think that parallel is happening in many lives. And in God's plan, he does want to sometimes confront people with a you know, a new direction that can open up to greater depth with them. And I've known, you know, people, I've known people in my involvement with the missionaries of charity who um, had that happen in their lives, in their middle of their life or 20s, 30s, and they begin to do work like that with missionaries of charity or something of, with the poor people. And then your life is you're not turned upside down, but it opens up to another phase of life. These things also happen in the life of prayer. You know, if a person begins to go to a holy hour every day, let's say if they have that time after some period of time in their life, where they begin to go to daily mass and find quiet time, things begin to happen then in the interior life. We become more vulnerable in a way before God then, and you can begin acting. 
will return to St. John of the Cross, Master of Contemplation with Father Donald Haggerty in just a moment. Did you know that Discerning Hearts has a free app in which you can find all your favorite Discerning Hearts programming? Father Timothy Gallagher, Dr. Anthony Lillis, Deacon James Keating, Mike Aquilina, Dr. Matthew Bunsen, and so many more are found on the Discerning Hearts free app. Did you also know that you can stream Discerning Hearts programming on numerous streaming platforms such as Apple Podcasts, Google Play, iHeartRadio, Pandora, Spotify, Stitcher, TuneIn, and so many more. And did you know that Discerning Hearts also has the YouTube page? Be sure to check out all these different places where you can find Discerning Hearts. The Living Flame of Love by St. John of the Cross O living flame of love that tenderly wounds my soul in its deepest center, since now you are not oppressive, now consummate, if it be your will. Tear through the veil of this sweet encounter. O sweet cautery, O delightful wound, O gentle hand, O delicate touch that tastes of eternal life and pays every debt, in killing you changed death to life. O lamps of fire, in whose splendors the deep caverns of feeling, once obscure and blind, now give forth so rarely, so exquisitely, both warmth and light to their beloved. How gently and lovingly you wake in my heart, where in secret you dwell alone, and in your sweet breathing, filled with good and glory, how tenderly you swell my heart with love. We now return to St. John of the Cross, Master of Contemplation, with Father Donald Haggerty. section in the book uh, entitled Caverns of Longing Within the Soul. That response that John of the Cross, and you kind of glean out for us in the ascent to Mount Carmel, where he talks about the theological virtues. And I wonder sometimes, Father, if faith, hope, and love, we hear that from St. Paul, of course, that those are the greatest. But I don't no, if we really know what those look like. I mean, I think intellectually we can say what faith, and maybe we might know what hope, the experience of it, but also in that love, what that is. And believe it or not, the great contemplative, John of the Cross, literally, I want to say, flushes that out for us because it does take flesh and how we respond to it, doesn't it? Well, John of the Cross is, you know, he's he's... Trained, you know, we would say, you know, he went to a, a, a university for studies uh, in a Thomistic, you know, based uh, uh, school in Salamanca in that period. So he knows the, the teaching of St. Thomas Aquinas on the theological virtues. And it's good to be aware, listeners, it's good to be aware that uh, the theological virtues are in another class of virtue. Faith, hope, and charity are not, you know, of the same ilk as 
prudence and uh, moderation and, you know, the whole list of other virtues. The teaching of St. Thomas Aquinas, which John of the Cross will adopt and then place a kind of great, beautiful uh, explanation in his own way about them, that those virtues actually unite the intellect by faith with the reality of God. The virtue itself places us in a direct, immediate union with God. So normally we think of faith as a kind of knowledge about God. It's giving us, you know, a knowledge we would not otherwise have. You know, a Jewish person does not have that knowledge that Jesus Christ is the incarnate Son of God. But John of the Cross, following St. Thomas Aquinas, will teach that faith is actually uniting our intellect itself with God. It's as though the, the virtue it's the virtue allows our intellect to be pervaded by the presence of God. And hope in a similar way will affect our memory in John of the Cross's teaching. St. Thomas Aquinas will teach that the memory affects, uh, the virtue of hope affects the will. But charity also, very important there. Charity, theological charity, unites the will to the will of God. And most of us, when we hear of charity, we're thinking of charitable acts, being charitable in our thoughts, you know, being a good person in charity. But there's something much deeper. It's uniting the, unite, the human will to the will of God himself. So John of the Cross then, in his writing, again, using one of his poems as a point of departure, will speak of these theological virtues then as opening caverns within these faculties. The cavern, deep place of deep space, you know, like a deep cave, within then the intellect, within the memory, within the will, in which God then plunges in a sense and is found, you know, deep within the intellect, will, and, and memory. And the theological virtues, the more they grow by our giving ourselves to God, then the more these caverns within us become a cavern of longing for God. So here's a great phrase. I, I find it a beautiful phrase in the living flame of love where he speaks of the these caverns as he speaks of the vast emptiness of their deep capacity, the vast emptiness within the intellect of their deep capacity for God. And this is, you know, in a sense, like a looking at a dis distant horizon in the desert. You know, the deep capacity that we have for God within our intellect, memory, and will as we give ourselves to God in prayer. It's, it's a way of saying there's kind of a limitless, you know, possibility of our relations with God that are affected then by these theological virtues as they advance, you know, in, and if we advance in a life of holiness. When you're saying all that, I, I couldn't help again to think of Nicodemus and that experience where he's in the presence of Jesus. He has this time in this intellect he's trying to understand 
with his own efforts, what is it to be born again? And yet it's different. It's not something that is a self-reliant type of I'm going to teach myself something. It's united with God's grace that takes you deeper than anything you can even. It, it just, you, you just know it and you understand it. And it's even deeper than what I've just said. I mean, as far as the, our ability to describe it with language. Am I on the right track with that, Father? And I think that's, again, you know, a good, good uh, comment and description because, again, it's also good to step back and realize, you know, the, the life of prayer, the life of God is not like other pursuits in that manner. You know, we can study something or pursue to encompass. We can pursue something to encompass it, to take hold of it, you know, to make it our own, to own it, you know, we say sometimes. But in the life of prayer, in the life of God, there's much more a kind of receptivity to God acting. And he acts through these theological virtues. Perhaps the easiest one to understand there is that God is going to act through supernatural theological charity. And he does that how? His own longing for us is going to be touching the will of the human person. So we experience a greater yearning, a longing, desire for him. So it's saying something about the life of prayer and greater giving of ourselves to God that we have to be receptive interiorly to a longing for him, you know, to a, a giving, you know, to him in opportunities outside of prayer. The theological virtues, in effect, allow us to be receptive to God taking initiative, you know, toward us. And it's not so much as John of the Cross, you know, will say in the life of faith, it's not that we expand our knowledge of God. That could be done by study. You know, we can become theologically, you know, more uh, astute and we can study theology. But what happens in the life of prayer is that the theological virtue of faith allows God in some manner to to pierce more deeply the vast emptiness of the deep capacity of the intellectual God. He plunges down more deeply within us in some mysterious manner. In the ascent of Mount Carmel, as you quote in the book, it talks about charity produces the nakedness and emptiness of affection and joy in all that is not God. The nakedness and emptiness of affection and joy in all that is not God. And that, I think, is, you look at it in the life of Thomas Aquinas in Dominican, the Franciscans, the, the great mendicant orders, the, that stripping away of, and, and here they, in some of them, in the case of Bonaventure, but also, of course, the Dominicans, they're, they're supposed to let it all go, all the ones in their mind. And is that a part of what that can look like? I think that phrase can be a little intimidating or, um, you know, difficult to receive because. He's not saying, I think, a person um, just loses all affection for everything in the world. He's saying that as God becomes more the one 
whom we are in love with. And this is really what John on the cross is writing about, to be in love with God. Then it's similar to the parallel in real life that, or real life and common life that, you know, if you, if you fall in love with someone, a lot of other things become very secondary to that, you know, and and a young person, you know, in love is very consumed by the thought of that, that one person. So the other affections, the other interests, they lose their, um, some of their taste or their, what might've been before, you know, the manner in which they took us captive before. And this is really what's happening in John of the Cross's description of deeper spiritual life, that it's not so much that we are ourselves just stripping painfully all of these things from our life, you know, crushing any affection. He's not saying that, that we would in some manner then have no relations of love with anyone. He would never say that. He's saying that when God becomes more the lover, the beloved of one's life, these other realities of life have no way of matching, you know, that deeper experience. And so there is a stripping down of the person, you know, due to that. And there is a necessary cooperation with that also that we, and we see obstacles. If we begin to pursue something as a rival to God, okay, everything can actually then in some manner hit a, you know, uh, a roadblock in some way. Again, I'm, I don't mean to put my own experience so much in the, in the forefront, but I couldn't help as you were saying that the experience of, my husband and I had our first child. I mean, it was almost shocking to me how you just want to do everything, not just because of their vulnerability, that's an important thing, but also because you just love them so much. You're just shocked. And then I remember in my pregnancy for my second child, there were moments where I thought, how could I possibly love another child as much as I love this one? And yet the miracle is you just do reality that love does not divide it only multiplies it's only capable of multiplying you can't you can't divide love that i think in some ways is that glimpse isn't it of god is love you can't divide him can you yeah that's a good uh, way to put it it's a glimpse of what happens you know when when god you know becomes the the beloved that may not happen, you know, so much in life because we're human and we are more inclined to find our great love, our great loves in life, you know, with things that are visible, you know, right there before us. And, and there's great beauty in God's plan, you know, loving one's child, loving one's spouse. And these are real, very, you know, profound realities of love. But with John of the Cross, you know, and some of these Carmelites and missionaries of charity, what they're telling us, you know, is that God himself, Mother Teresa, God himself became the great beloved. And when that, be, when that happens, then, you know, all these other things perhaps increase in love in one's life, that we are, you know, plunged into a greater reality of love in our lives. But when God is, you know, the first love, and that can happen in any life. It happens in lay people's lives and young people's lives sometimes. It happens sometimes in a person late in life. But when God becomes one love, 
then all things, you know, all things follow from that. Well, Father Haggerty, in, in just closing in this just brief section that we've been able to cover, for those who are listening and they want to take this in, the great retreat director that you are, what would you have them reflect on in, in regards to the John of the Cross, the Ascent of Mount Carmel, particularly on these teachings, in regards to the caverns of longing within the soul? Well, I think my, my answer to that would be to read the Gospel of John. And John of the Cross is, you know, a great teacher. But when you read, you know, through Jesus' accounts, especially in the Last Supper chapters of John, chapter 14, 15, 16, 17, we're hearing in those words, you know, the invitation to great depth, you know, with our Lord Jesus Christ. And he's going to talk in chapter 14 of his indwelling presence. We will come and make our home within you. So to me, that would be, you know, the uh, realize what we're really hearing in John of the Cross, reading of him, is the reality of the gospel, you know, being, being opened up to us. And, you know, to read his poetry is, is a great beginning. His aphorisms, I think... Reading his aphorisms, reading the poetry, it's very possible. Right there we say, this was an extraordinary person. I need, I need more of him. I want them also to, though, to read St. John of the Cross, Master of Contemplation. Father Haggerty, I just thank you so much for this time, and uh, it's, I'm sure it is a great blessing for all of our listeners as well. Thank you, Chris, for having me. I appreciate it very much. You've been listening to St. John of the Cross, Master of Contemplation, with Father Donald Haggerty. This series is based on the book, St. John of the Cross, Master of Contemplation, published by Ignatius Press. Visit ignatius.com to obtain a copy, or you can find it at any fine Catholic bookstore. To hear and or to download this conversation, along with hundreds of other spiritual formation programs, visit discerninghearts.com or you can find it within the free Discerning Hearts app. This has been a production of Discerning Hearts. I'm your host, Chris McGregor. We hope that if this has been helpful for you, that you will first pray for our mission, which is to offer authentic and rock-solid spiritual formation freely to souls around the world. And if you feel us worthy, consider a charitable donation, which is fully tax-deductible to help support our efforts. But most of all, we hope that you will tell a friend about discerninghearts.com and join us next time for St. John of the Cross, Master of Contemplation with Father Donald Haggerty.